Our story today takes us back in time to a pale blue dot in a distant galaxy, which is home to a species of bipedal mammals known as humans. This species inhabited a planet they called Earth, a small stage in our vast cosmic arena, which orbited a star in an outer spiral arm of the Milky Way galaxy on the edge of the known universe. As this species evolved and became more aware of itself and its surroundings, began to wonder, what was this great expanse that stretched out above it? What were those bright flickering orbs that littered its sky? Then came the inevitable question, were they alone? And if not, where was everybody? They yearned to learn more about the universe and their place in it. And as their curiosity grew, so too did their technology. They learnt about the forces of the universe, they harnessed flight, and sent members of their species on short expeditions off-planet. They knew the universe was vast, perhaps infinite, but still, their technology did not match their ambition. Neither their vessels nor their bodies could travel the great distances required to explore other galaxies, let alone reach outside their own solar system. They were in their infancy, but they forged ahead. Determined to reach out into the void, they launched two probes, Voyager 1 and 2. The aim of the scientific mission was twofold. Collect data about their immediate surroundings and communicate their history to any other interstellar species that may come across the probes. About 30,000 Earth years after it launched, we encountered one of these probes and discovered a most peculiar artifact attached to its outer shell. A shiny, circular object forged of earth minerals which contained a token of their sights, sounds, science, music, thoughts, and feelings. Through the launching of this bottle into the cosmic ocean, the humans were attempting to communicate with the intelligent extraterrestrial life forms they hoped existed in the vast reaches of space. They have no way of knowing their mission of first contact was successful, but through this golden record, as they called it, we have learnt much about Earth and the humans. These murmurs of Earth paint a picture of a species capable of great beauty and a wonderfully biodiverse planet, home to millions of species, an oasis of life in an otherwise barren solar system. This golden record is a gift from Earth, an important historical record of this fascinating little corner of the universe. Now, let's give it a spin. from the children of planet Earth. to the pod. I'm Tom McCartney-Kennedy, joined by Matt Harrison-Carvalho. 
Dan Starlozier and Chris Lennon-Palumbo. We are the Groovy Guys. This is Crate Expectations, the podcast for record collectors and music enthusiasts. Groovy Guys, how are we? Doing well, yeah. doing well. Golden. Feeling, feeling groovy. This is, mm-hmm. uh, this is a sad day. Today marks, unfortunately, all good things must come to an end. Today marks the final episode of our first season. But oh, Unbelievable. Don't worry. We're going out with How a bang. How far we've come. Are we? How far <laughs> we've come. We're, we're going we out got with microphones. We all got microphones. That's true. Baby steps. <laughs> but look, we're going to go out with a bang. We're talking about the quest for that most elusive and sought-after record in our collections. We're talking about our holy grails. But before we do that, before we do that, let's talk about a holy grail documentary that just dropped. Long-awaited arrival of Peter Jackson's mm-hmm. Beatles epic. Get back. Mm-hmm. How, I know. I don't know if everyone's seen all of it. I finished it last night. Dan, I know you've watched it. Hey, yep. Let's start with you, Dan. I know you're just an enormous Beatles fan. How exciting was this arrival? And you know what? What did you take from it? I've. I mean, for, for me, I, the Beatles is easily t- up there in, in my top top bands. It was my, easily my favorite band while I was in high school. Um, and so, even before this uh, this documentary was released, I was. I was on this hunt for the holy grail of mm. watching the rooftop concert. Right? Yeah. Like I know it exists in the Let It Be uh, movie that they made, but it, the concert in its entirety is kind of what I, I would have loved to watch. And it always I always wondered why it was never on YouTube, right? But yeah. to know that this documentary was coming out and for that to be the ending of, of the whole thing, it's just mm. like, oh, just waiting for it to happen. And and for Peter Jackson to be the guy to, to put it all together, it just couldn't have been a better marriage of filmmaking and music right so um as soon as it as soon as it was released you know it was just waiting for that time for for Alina and I to be able to sit down and watch it Alina's obviously a big Beatles fan too and um you know a, a, a lot of a lot of misconceptions that I've had about the Beatles and and how yeah. they uh how they were in their last couple of years I thought you know I thought John was was the real driver for why they broke up, and I know he was, but man, Paul's a bit of a dick, and <laughs> him, him him being a, the boss of the band, like I can understand why he frustrated George, and understand why they wanted to separate separate uh, go on separate ways, right? I was just gonna say, do you know what? I actually thought watching it, it, it was perfect for them to finish it then because they were still. They were only just still making really great music. They were still having fun with each other, yep. which was probably the biggest learning from Peter Jackson's version was um, they still really enjoyed making music together. Yeah. But they went out, at, I feel like they went out at the right time because they were all at the yeah. end of their tether. So, like, funny you said that because, like, in the first episode, I was like, wait, I'm, like, I'm pretty sure if I know my Beatles, like, they're breaking up during this. But watching the first episode and they're all jamming together, they're laughing together. I was like, oh, I thought there was like these like riffs and you didn't see it. And then all of a sudden episode two starts or the end of episode one. And I was like, <laughs> <clears throat> oh, there's this really okay. good cut scene of like George's face. Yeah. And like, I you was can like, tell he's over it. Yeah. Like, and I was just like, and I sent you guys a text and I was like, oh, like he, this, like he's done. Like Paul and Paul and John were like, how like jamming out and he's just sitting there like grumpily on his amp doing like <laughs> well because paul was being so condescending he's like you just he's, you, like you just do this you just do this 
Yeah, and he's sitting there. He's like, I, I don't play that way. I don't play that way. That's how Clapton plays. If you want, just go get Eric Clapton. Then he leaves. And then yeah. Paul's like, well, I guess if he doesn't Ooh. come back, I'll just go get we'll Eric get Clapton. Clapton. Then. <laughs> that was ruthless. <laughs> I, I died. I died. Yeah, like I always thought. And then that flower pot scene mm. where they were talking and then uh, John was trying to be like, kind of a middleman and being like, well, you can kind of be overbearing. I never got that feeling of Paul like that. And I was just like, wow, like this changed. Yeah, this changed everything. He was frustrated. You could tell he was frustrated uh, with the direction of the band, but also it was probably frustrating for the band because he wasn't he wasn't clear in his mind what the direction was that he wanted it to be, but he knew he was trying to take them in a different direction. He just wasn't sure where yet. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that the issue is that you know, part of of what they were doing, you know, they had gotten so big, right? And mm. and it was getting a lot harder for them to do live music, right? It was they they they're such perfectionists that they found that their some of their live performances weren't up to their standards, and because of how much overdubbing they were putting into their albums, yeah, it was really hard to convey in a live show, right? And the out of the four, the best producer is Paul. Mm-hmm. And Paul mm-hmm. is the most musically gifted. Paul's the only one that can go onto every single instrument and yep. slay every instrument. Yeah. Yep. While Strangry. the others, like maybe John can play a little bass and some piano, but he can't play drums. You know, and you saw that in the documentary, yeah. right? And and so Paul, it, it it started with the White Album, right? And at at the end of the White Album is really when the riffs really started to happen. And it was Ringo that left the band. Yeah, Ringo left yeah. at the end of the White Album, saying, "You know what, guys, I'm done with." Like, I just can't, because Ringo in that whole documentary just seems like such a loving, you know, just easygoing sure dude. He was just, chill. He was just stoned the whole time. He's dead eyes oh, the yeah, whole he time. Looked, he looked like he was pretty high the whole time. But, you know, he, I'm sure he left because of all of all that bickering, right? So um, Paul being the guy who's such producer focused coming into the Let It Be or the Get Back sessions where they're trying to play together, he still had that, Yeah, still had that, like, I'm the boss, I'm going to kind of, push the direction of this. You could see him but, trying to produce as they were yep. jamming, oh, yeah. as they Big were time. figuring these songs out. But I, th- what was so awesome to me, what I felt so privileged of, first of all, like just watching one of your favourite bands jam for eight hours and see the creative process and and for it to be the filming to be so intimate and the quality of the set, the vision and the audio to be so fantastic I mean, mm-hmm. uh, that in itself, like I had a grin on my face the entire time because it, it felt like a privilege. It felt like you were sitting in Twickenham Studios and at Abbey Road with them, uh, at Apple, at Savile Row with them, just yep. sitting in the room watching these genius maestros yep. create music. Mm-hmm. But secondly, the fact that they chose that those sessions to document where they were going away from overproducing music away from multiple tracks to back getting getting back to their roots and recording something as a live band it was just such a privilege to watch that creative process unfold oh. where they would they would just you know get back amazing song just paul just starts a riff and then it's like mm-hmm. you see that from inception to Recording comes up, comes up with the chorus, and then just blabbers, and then eventually they write the verses. Right? I, I love it. I it's love the so blabbering, cool. the the mumble where they couldn't do the audio, where it's just like blah, 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 and it just like dubbed like 
And then all of a sudden the next time they were just like scribbling something down. Just to see that process, man. Yeah. Like it's, what a privilege. So you kind of feel like you're like in the studio with them. That's uh, one of the best experiences uh, of this mm -hmm. documentary. You feel like you're a fly on the wall there or like, you know, one of the runners, like that's just observing the, the greatness taking place. It's so, it's so crazy to me that these guys can just have a riff or an, a, a motif or an idea and then over the, like two weeks, what, what insane person is like in the space of two weeks we're going to create and record an album and a documentary and a concert? And a live insane. performance that we haven't done in three years. Yeah. Insane. I you think know, it just goes to show how really how talented those guys actually were and how well they worked and how efficient they worked as a band. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, how do you guys feel? Would you say they're the greatest band of all time? I'd say they're up there for sure. Yeah. They're, they're, mean, top, have, they're definitely top five. Yeah. For, like, oh, no doubt. yeah. Rushmore. I mean, just, just for the thing, the things that they did, right. Like the way that they recorded the, the sampling, Mm -hmm. um, stereo, right? Like they, they came up with a lot of groundbreaking yeah. innovators record, recording techniques. And, yeah. you know, I, a lot I, of I find like they're like a, a lot of indie bands that came out today. They just, a lot of things just sound like the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. But like, they created no that one sound. Sounded, no one sounded yeah. like the Beatles back yeah. then. Nobody sounded like them. It was and they pushed and the envelope, the right? Like they went from, yeah. uh, rock and roll pop love songs to, uh, rubber soul and just like yeah. totally flipped it. For, for for me, one of the biggest takeaways of, of that of the documentary was, you know, it, the way it started, it, it gave me a real understanding as to how Paul was the band leader and yeah. how he it was really, really clear. like he really got under people's skin because of that, and and was I think was likely the catalyst for why they wanted to split up. Yeah, because one of the comments that George made was, you know, I used to write all these songs and I figured that I would just give them away because I never felt comfortable putting them out myself. But at some point, I just said, fuck it. I'm going to do it I'm myself. Gonna do it. I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. Okay. Right? And that, that he finally figured out, I was like, you know what? I am a great songwriter because mm -hmm. on White Album, When My Guitar Gently Weeps is one of the best He's songs one of on, the that, best, on that album. It's one of the best songs and one of, of their, all time. one of their best songs, <laughs> yeah. period. Yeah. Yeah. But, so when but, he's talking about I, Me, Mine, he's showing them, he's like, I watched a movie last night and he's like playing it. Like no one, they're all standing around him watching and no one jumps on anything. And I was like, oh my God, that song's like, I love that song. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. But, and then Paul like goes around the corner and makes a comment about like gr grammatical things. Yeah. Right. But then Paul starts doing something and John jumps on right away and Ringo jumps on the, the drums. Like you didn't feel that like connection. And I was like, I felt bad in it, that moment. Mm -hmm. Like watching that, that scene, I was like, George feels left. You can see it on his face. He, he's like, he just presented something so raw and emotional with a story behind it and no one gave a fuck. And it really, it really hit home for Which me. Sucks. I, I've, yeah, like I, you could see it. I felt sorry for George in it. And I didn't appreciate like for, for someone who was such a brilliant guitarist and songwriter, I didn't appreciate how, uh, how much he was lacking confidence because of the songwriting partnership of John and Paul yeah. and because most of the songs on Beatles albums were Lennon McCartney. And... Yeah. You know, he would get some scraps every now and then. They'd be like, okay, let's throw George a bone and put one of his tracks on. You know, he's he's showing them all things must pass and and they're like, Oh yeah, okay, that you know, that might not that might not make the cut. And, Wait, and it's like Well, yeah, I'm gonna do it myself yeah. and I'm gonna make all things must pass, which is comfortably 
the best Beatles solo album. 100%. I would disagree with that. I'd be a hard disagree on that one from me, but it's up there for sure. You know, okay, for me, it's McCartney. For me, it's McCartney. But yeah, I, 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 it is, it is, it is tops for me as well. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you there, but it's not the best in my. I opinion. thought you were going to say for you is uh, so long Vienna or whatever it's called. No, it's uh, <laughs> what's the one that uh, I'm not going to try to remember what it is. Um, but a, another point I wanted to make on Paul was, um, you know, despite the fact that he was condescending and he kind of took this role of being the boss of the band, um. You could, man, there were a couple moments, or I think there were three moments where he, you could see his eyes were welled up. Yeah, it was really sad that they were breaking up. couldn't finish what he was saying because he knew that they were breaking up and this was it. And you could, you could just see like, man, this is something he'd been doing since he was 15 years old. And there was this And was this the wound best man in the world. Yeah. And there was this yeah, wound and be- between and him and John friends. and they couldn't, yeah. they knew it was there, but they couldn't reconcile it for some reason. Yeah. And, and I know they were trying. Yeah, they were trying because I, it was it was those moments where they were having fun, and and when John and Paul were on the same wavelength, that he would take a step back and be like, "Fuck, this can't like I it can't, can't end, end, but it has to end." They were having so yeah. much fun. It was so much fun watching them jam. Yeah, those yeah. two, and then George in the background sulking. That's what killed me. But George, you know, George, there were moments too, especially in the third part. In part okay, three. I'm not there yet. That's oh, okay. why. Yeah. I'm not so there in yet. so in yeah, part yeah. three, second, where they're getting to the part, yeah. yeah, where they're getting yeah. toward the end, and and they, it's coming becoming clear what this project is leading to. Okay. And then they um then they pick it well, up. They keep talking about um was it their old producer who passed away or their band manager manager uh, the band manager it was band manager they they say it all started because he he was the guy in the suit he, they he was saying. the glue he he was the yeah. guy who gave them direction knew, I think yeah and then Paul tried to take that role and then I think you can't you can't have someone take that role in the band right because then then the, that changes the the whole scene have you have you okay. gone to the part where Billy Preston shows up oh, uh, for the on the it's organ so good. It's it's when it's when Billy no. Preston comes in on the organ because Billy Preston used to play on Ray Charles's band. And oh, they talk when, about him. I haven't seen him yet. When yeah. he comes in to the recording, once they like, get we to Savile, we need a, we need an organ player because if we're going to play live, as soon mm-hmm. as he yeah, as soon as he gets to Apple Records Studio, then all of a sudden it's like the it band's clicks. got this. That's what the they band's were got missing. This external right that and they can't just be a bunch of dicks to each other because <laughs> out of out of respect because there's a new person in the room right that. And, yeah, they, and as soon as that happens, there's, and then it takes shape, and, and they're and having then, a good time. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. They're and, such dicks to each other. I think that's the whole first part of the documentary, and, and I love it. Yeah, and then the rooftop concert, obviously. You know, wow, spoilers. Fan, fan, well, Chris, I hate to spoil it for you, but they played a rooftop you can't, concert. You can't, you can't spoil something. Forty years, years, fifty years ago. The Simpsons, <laughs> the Simpsons didn't do that. Yeah, first the B sharps. So look, well, it's been done. Let's. <laughs> So shout out to Peter Jackson, shout out to Michael Lindsay Hogg and his crew because they captured like, what was it, like 80 hours worth of footage and 150 hours worth of audio or something. Peter Jackson trawled through all of that. Um, They, you know, he somehow whittled it down to eight hours. I will say I still don't think he knows how to edit something to make it concise. But (laughs) this is is not a documentary for a casual fan. This is a, no. This, it's long. Yeah, a casual fan would have turned it off after about an hour and a half, I think. Or I disagree or a, because or a music. You, yeah, but you're a music fan. You're a musician. Yeah, you are yeah. interested in the recording and the creative process. 
And we also told you to listen to watch the whole thing before this Yo, but, episode. But this <laughs> got, so you found okay. uh, But this got me again. I wasn't early in the podcast. I, I would have told you I'm not a Beatles fan. Like I'm in. Like, um, like I I'm I'm into the Beatles again. Like I would have put when on the wheel it, we had a band that you can't get into. The Beatles was on there, and I had to cross it out oh, and wow. change my answer. There you go. Because because. Nice. Like, yeah, I, I'm in. They suck me in. There we go. All awesome. Right. So now it's time to share our own holy grails. And if any of you pull out the Voyager Golden Record, I am going to have a medical episode. But, Dan, I'm going to go to you first because yours is definitely the most relevant to what we've just been talking about. Hit us with your holy grail record. Okay, so I'm just going to preamble before this because I want to touch on one more thing about the Get Back Sessions one thing I didn't I didn't know was that those sessions happened before they recorded Abbey Road. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. Right, and so they they, they had those sessions. They did the rooftop concert. George Martin convinced them to do another album under his direction. To say, guys, if you guys want to do it right, you guys have a, a because they kept talking about oh we need fourteen songs for an album, right? They had you hear in that documentary. You hear the medley, Mister Mustard. Yeah. You hear the the outro medley. You hear uh, she came in through the bathroom window. You hear yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I want you so bad, right? Maxwell Silver Hammer. Uh, you hear Octopus's Garden, right? Mm. So they went and recorded that album under George Martin's direction, and he was the one calling the shots. Made an unbelievable album. That released in September of tw- 1969. After that album, Paul knew things were done with the Beatles. He had he hit a depression, went back to his farm with Linda, wrote McCartney, mm. and then they took those songs that they came up with at the Get Back Sessions and made Let It Be. When they made Let It Be, it was John and George that went to the U.S. and met with Phil Spector yep. and convinced him to be the final producer of Let It Be and gave it that quint- – like that – Wall of Sound, Spectorized which is Spectorized it. it. The Wall of Sound, which is what uh, McCartney calls it. And Paul hated it. He thought because when they went to the Get Back sessions. They want to go back the, to their roots. The intention was to go back to their roots yeah. and to be able to play those songs live. And so Let It Be never s- sat well with him. He went and did his, he did, went and went and did his career solo with Wings, you know, John passed away tragically. George also passed away tragically. But before George passed away, Paul went to uh, went to Ringo and George and asked him if he could do "Let It Be Naked," which is my choice. Um, it's my choice because I have the uh, the OG pressing first release EU copy. Crazy. Which is easily my awesome. most valuable record in my collection. It's in practically mint condition because it's only been played a few times. NM. Um, it's it's definitely an NM condition. It has all the original inserts that have never been touched. Beautiful. Um, right. So that's and so that's my pick. Let it be naked. Can you just Perfect. give just for for people who aren't familiar, just give us a really short pricey. What what does that mean? Why is it let it be naked? Okay, so this goes into how Paul truly felt about what Let It Be should have been, right? So Let It Be came from the Get Back Sessions. Mm. 
and it was what Tom says, specterized, was given that wall of sound. He wanted to release the album the way he thought it should have been released. So he stripped it back. So he stripped all of that production yeah. that Phil put onto it and made it so that it would it would have been how they would have played it live. Right? And it's probably There's, most evident in the long and winding road. Well, I think the longest yes. there's, which is the song that's on there that isn't on the original release, right? Get Back is one of them. So Get Back's on there, and the Long and Winding Road is is the one. Oh, I think I've got a feelings also not on. Let yes, it be, I if think I'm, you're if right. I'm correct, right? Yeah. And the Long and Winding Road is, um, like it's it's hard on uh, kind of like we were talking about um, Harvest and uh, uh, Man Needs a Maid. It's kind of too yeah. much. In in the the original production of, but of on live Long at Massey Hall is stripped back, and that's that's how I feel about Long and Winding Road. Yeah. On the original, it's too much, and then on Naked, it's stripped back. And you know, you know, it's funny too. In 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 that documentary, when uh, you can see John and, and John and George actually don't like that song, and they make a couple jabs at Paul about the Long and Winding Road, and Paul's like, I think it's like the best song I've ever written. You know, and it's funny in the, in the movie yesterday, when the when the if if you guys have seen the movie yesterday, not for a long time, it? not for a long time. So for the viewers who haven't seen it, yesterday is a movie about a a, a young failed musician, uh, a, a mass global power outage happens, and then uh, for some reason everyone forgets that the Beatles ever existed, or in this new. Uh, universal timeline the Beatles never existed and so he still remembers all the songs and goes in and writes and releases them himself and there's a scene where he gets popular enough where Ed Sheeran finds out about him and starts touring with yeah. him while they're touring uh, he they go to Moscow and, and he performs back in the USSR Ed, Ed is like this is so weird how you wrote that let's have a <laughs> songwriting competition in that songwriting competition the character writes and performs a long and winding road. And Ed Sheeran is like, wow, that's the best song I've ever heard in my life. You're oh. way better than I am. Like That's the I'm one done. they choose, hey? That's interesting. Yeah. It's a good well, movie. I, I think, I honestly, yeah, honestly to me, the, the, yeah. the, the, the writing in that song is very interesting, right? Like the, the just the, again, I'm, I'm having a hard time finding the word here, but talking about the, the road and always coming back to that road, I just find that, I found it interesting really though that that was their song. that that was their choice. Like, is is that considered? I know Paul has said that, but is that considered broadly to be his best song? Oh, I mean, it's uh, how, I how could say, you possibly no. pick that, right? How could you possibly pick that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to be fair, Chris, it's a big I mean, catalog. I, you know, it's huge. I, I mean, this you're, is, not, you're this, not a big Beatles guy. You can't really this make is, that pick. This but. is the thing with, but I'm a big Paul McCartney guy. This this is the thing with uh, George feeling so, um, like having this uh, inferiority complex. It's like, well, yeah, you're may, maybe you're the third best songwriter in the band, but the the two guys ahead of you are Lennon and McCartney. Yeah, like they're considered to be the you best. know it's co context, right? <laughs> yeah, in any other band in the world, he would have been the best songwriter. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, <sighs> but he just happened to be in a band with Lennon and McCartney. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but I love I Me Mine. Like, oh, I keep coming back song. to that it's song. one of my favorite songs on that album. Yeah, I me don't too. Say. And I keep coming back to it. And I was like, and that's why I felt so but like bad. And I, I, like, I was like, oh, 
like the moment he wrote that I was, in my head, I was like, no, this, oh my God, he's going to, they're all going to be like, oh my God, this needs to go on the album. They just didn't do anything. And I was like, poor old George. I, yeah. But I think, I think he should have appreciated this on Naked too, because it's, it seems like a stripped down version of this. I like this version better. Way better. Uh, jo- yeah. when, it, when, it, what, George, I, when it's George and his guitar and his voice, like, what Man. more do you need? Yeah, yeah, you can't beat that. I would love just a like acoustic version of it. I, mm-hmm. I would have loved to hear that. That would have been so cool to hear. Dan, how did you come across this? Like, how did you know this? Is obviously, this would be a holy grail in a lot of people's collections. How did you get a hold of it? So this was kind of at like the peak of my uh, collecting years while I was in high school, and so you know, I've, I've touched on this before, but I used to go every every week on Thursdays with my dad to thrift stores to find records. And at the time in the early 2000s, you could easily find good records at thrift stores, but mm. you're kind of like starting to see that slow down. Um, and I was kind of at the peak of, of that record collecting time. And I, you know, just being for the Beatles being my favorite band when I was that age, um, you just see that, let it be naked. It's going to be a release. Right. And so obviously I'm like, well, this is, I, I need to have it, or I need to have this on vinyl. Mm. I went to my local record store, which was called Star Records. Um, unfortunately, that record store closed. And I know, Chris, when you lived in Whitby, you used to go there. It closed? Yeah, so, un- you know, sadly enough, the the owner of the store, he passed away. He was an old guy even when I used to go there. But yeah, uh, he, yeah, passed, yeah. he passed away a few years ago. So the record store uh, closed with that. That hurts my soul. Was, was su- that guy was such a nice guy. I forget his name, but he was such a nice guy. And I used to always have great conversations with him. And he, I just remember going in with my dad and my dad and him talking while I'd be digging, right? So it just, so that, cool. was, that was a spot I used to love to go to. Yeah, nice. I used to send Lee and she used to get the deals. He ignored me. He'd talk to her <laughs> and I'd be like, hey, how much you? And he's like, oh, for you, five bucks. And I was like, yes, great guy. But basically I went in, I went in, uh, before it was released, and I said, hey, I need to have a copy of Let It Be Naked Yeah. as soon as it comes out. And I also need a copy of Dark Side of the Moon 30th Anniversary, which was also releasing around the same time. So he did a pre-order for me, and when it came in, he actually got me like the OG first first release uh, from the EU pressing. So it's not a Canadian pressing. Yeah. I don't even know if they made a Canadian pressing. What but, year was uh, that, Dan? Oh, you know, three maybe. Yeah, okay, so three. Okay, so we could get. So it was a while. So we yeah. we could yeah. get a reissue maybe in a in a couple of years. I hope so I need a copy of that. Yeah, because yeah. I'm having a quick look online right now. Oh, you're not. Yeah. It, yeah, I'm not paying this. So not it's a, it's getting a, it's it for a U- 300 bucks. It's a UK UK copy printed in the EU. Has the. I'll just show you guys here. It has a, a really nice booklet which touches on the get back sessions. Awesome. Oh, right. that's so, so cool. So it's a kind of retrospect. Does it have a seven this inch is, as well? And it has uh, Fly on the Wall, oh, cool. which is a cool. ton of the recordings of the Get Back sessions. And the, so that's really cool. the photos, there's negatives on that. Are they, um, were they taken by Linda or were they taken by that other photographer that you saw in the documentary? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I'd have to look okay. into the booklet. I hope it was Linda, her her photos she took in that documentary, they're, super cool. They're great. I love the yeah. um, the light they did in the Twickenham Studios. That was really cool. Yeah, me too. Uh, really very cool. Too. I also, like, I don't want to add to the whole um, uh, Yoko Ono sort of lexicon, but um, 
I thought Linda's contributions to the documentary were more tolerable than Yoko's. Nah, I like she doesn't your say anything. The, 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 Yoko honestly, just sits like, there. Could you imagine being amp. in that band and, and, and she just was on John like glue? And yeah. also then those, those experimental um, chanting, chanting recordings that she would do every now and then. Yeah. I, I loved how Ringo Starr had the um, Harry Krishnas. No, it was George. That was George. That was George. Was that George? It's like one of the first shots of of the part one is just that guy sitting in the corner. (laughs) Yes. And then, and then I think, sorry. And then Ringo, someone asked Ringo something. And he's like, well, do you like India? And do you like the Harry Krishna? Because they got him flowers. He's like, no. Not not (laughs) really. I was dying. I was like, Uh, this is amazing. Yeah. yeah. It was cool. It was such a cool insight. Dan, uh, Dan, so, I mean, whether it's from the original, whether it's from Naked, what what is the most popular and what is your favorite in terms of tracks? Oof. Um, I mean that's that's a really hard that's really hard for me to answer. Um I don't know if I can actually answer that. I mean Let It Be is the title track. Um that's that's gotta be the most popular song, obviously. And I think it, it plays incredibly well on uh Let It Be Naked. Um but I think the long and winding road's gotta be the second, I mean, to me, I think it's, Paul is my favorite Beatle, hands down. Like there's, there's no, real, really no competition for me. Um, so I think I'm going to pick that one just for that reason. But, you know, shout out to Get Back, Dig a Pony, For You Blue, really Two like of Us. I've got a feeling, One After yeah, 909, really like Don't Let Me Down, I Me Mine and Across the Universe. So, so all of those go. ones. Nice. <laughs> oh, you really yeah. narrowed it down. Yeah. Man. It's hard. Yeah, the end of this album. Don't let me down. I mean mine across so the universe. Good. Let it be. Also, this is con- tracks. This is <laughs> considered the whole thing is amazing. Unbelievable. This is and, and this, this is, is the greatest hits. We know that, right? And this like, and this, this is, is con- greatest yeah, hits. This is the greatest hits, yeah. And this is considered <laughs> not one of their better works. What? Like, this is, I know, which is insane. This is considered when they were on the decline. I mean, I, I, they, people consider Abbey Road to be their best record, right? But to me, it's like and and I I think this is mine. Let it be naked is the way I can get people to listen to the Beatles. And I think I won you, yeah. Chris, with this. How do you, you even, like, with this? How do you even need to I mean, get people to listen? Well, people, the, thing, the thing about any band that's often people don't like, and it's how I felt about uh, Taylor Swift, right? Like, I don't like her hits because they're too poppy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then when you're forced to go into her deep cuts, then you can start to find more, and then you start to relate to her song, right? You start to relate to her sound. Yeah. And then you start listening to more of her catalog, and... A lot of people, they're like, I don't really like the swingy, uh, you know, early rock and roll stuff. You got to start at Rubber You got to start at Rubber But then people are like, I don't like the psychedelic stuff either. Okay, so start at Abbey Road. Right? And then, but then people are like, okay, well, you know, I, yeah, I, I can vibe with Abbey Road. There's like, I, I really, I can really uh, dig with the with the opening track, right? And. But then if you get people into Let It Be Naked, it's like this is like pure rock and roll. Pure rock yeah. and roll. That's but, the best way to describe but, it. Mm-hmm. But with that like poppy songwriting, like classic Beatles songwriting. Like masterful songwriters. They just know how to write the a loop. hit. It really is the way to listen to this album. Plain and simple. Yeah. Perfect, more, man. perfect choice. Absolutely love it. Uh, now let's go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Matt Carvalho, I, we, I have a feeling this is going to be absolutely nothing like the Beatles. Take us to your holy grail. 
Yeah, nothing like the Beatles. We're going to into a whole different genre. Uh, so the Holy Grail, my pick, is going to be Eminem's very, very first piece of work, which is Infinite. Um, for a lot of the listeners out there who are more familiar with Eminem from 2010 onward, you probably have never heard of this. You probably don't know any of these songs exist, but it's one of his best piece of work. A lot of people kind of dismissed it at the time, didn't think it was that good, compared him to other really popular rappers in the industry, and um, he was kind of written off. What, what year but What year was it released? 19, hang on, let me double check. I think it's 96. Oh, wow. Let me double check. November 12th, 1996. Wow. So, so a long, year, long time a year ago. year before Slim Shady EP. Yes, yes. Um, anyways, really, really great very like the production's very it, it's not overly complicated it's very bare bones basic it's what you know you would normally find in that era in terms of production it, it wasn't too fancy it wasn't glitz and glamour it was a beat and your artist mm. spitting his rhymes uh his lyrics his his rhyme skills you know different techniques he used on this album are all fantastic and it's kind of interesting looking back now how he was just dismissed which i don't understand um, but anyways, great, great record. And how I came upon this was through eBay, uh, <laughs> in high school, I, I like, uh, in the Napster and LimeWire days when I heard, you know, Marshall Matters LP, Slim Shady LP, and then found out he had two more products before, before this and then downloaded everything. Um, I was like, I gotta have a copy of this. It's gotta exist somewhere. So, you know, sure enough, go on eBay. There's a couple you know, different copies of them floating around and I'm bidding, I'm bidding, I'm getting outbid, I'm getting outbid. I got so close the one time, it came down to the final seconds and somebody outbid me by like uh, like the smallest margin. Uh, and I was like, oh, I felt so defeated. I was like, painful. I'm never going to get this. Yeah, wow. I, I was like, I'm never going to get this record. And then sure enough, um, there was another member on eBay who was like, hey, I see you've been going after um, this record. I have a copy of it. I'm a DJ from Toronto. Um, I've had this in my collection for some time. I'm actually selling off my collection of records. If you want it, you can pick it up for a hundred bucks. At the time, you know, like even now, it's still really expensive for a record. It's but a lot of money back, back then. then I, I'm in high school. I'm working a part-time job. You know what I mean? Like this was a good <laughs> chunk of my change. Crazy. But I was like, you know what? I don't care. I got to have it. Um, and then sure, like part of me, thought it was a little too good to be true. I'm like, there's a 50-50 shot here. I send my money and it's gone. And it's a scam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's and I'm getting scammed. But sure enough, shows up at my front door. I take it out. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm holding this record right now. And then sure enough, put it on the record or sorry, I'm put it on the turntable and just let it play. And I'm like, oh amazing. I was so so happy. That's just to awesome. go just to go through that hunt too. Oh yeah, have, like to have failed all those times to try to yeah. get it, and then finally it happens, and then that first play must have been unbelievable. And, and, oh, it was so good. And this is an elusive record, right? Because yeah, I mean, we had to listen to it on YouTube. That that yeah, yeah. you can't it's, find it's, it anywhere right now. It's not streaming anywhere. So unless no. you've got a physical copy of it, you're not really having an enjoyable listening experience. Exactly. The only song that's gotten an official release is the title track "Infinite." Mm -hmm. They released it, I think. 20 or 
not sure how many years later, but I think it was 2016 or 2017. It was remastered and put on uh, Spotify and Apple Music. Oh, really? Okay. So yeah. is, is your so, copy that's, that is an official release or it's a bootleg? Yeah. No, it is an official no, it's release. No, that one's okay. an official release. I have the Slim Shady EP as well, but that one's a bootleg. I would like to get an original of that as well. Mm. So who put that out, Matt? Just Eminem himself. So oh, he what did, he, he used sponsored to do. It. Okay. Yeah, so um, it was produced, him, um, FTP, FBT Productions, and Danan Porter, who is a member of D12, were the three main producers in it. DJ had, I think, also does some of the uh, drum programming on it. And at the time, he would do shows and sell this record out of the trunk of his car. Wow, that's cool. Um, He did that with the Slim Shady EP as well. Wow, cool. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah, I guess I'm guessing this is before he got picked up by Dr. Dre, obviously. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, Matt, um, it's funny you say um, you said he how he got dismissed over this album. And it wasn't until track four. So tonight. Love that, that song. Yeah. So the, the first three, I was like, OK, you know, you hear the, the classic Slim Shady style. And then tonight hit and I was like, how come I've never heard this song? Like. It, like, I really, really liked it's it. It's one that, of my favorite songs by Eminem. Yeah, it caught me, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, that That to me lets me know that, do you know what? A lot of people he probably sent this to or listened to probably didn't get to that song. Huh. Because mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of Eminem, and I've been open about that. But I got, I was like, okay, he, there's something here. You get like, it, this yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah, I get it. It, it. it actually pulled the whole album together. I found Infinite was kind of... It was a good intro, but I didn't. I didn't follow. Oh, love. Man, I, I love the way he rhymes on that record. Yeah, like what are you? Yeah, what are so your the two? Double Enchantress too. He's got on this record. Oh, so good. What are your two sort of recommended tracks? What uh, you know, most popular, which is hard because it's not a very popular album, and your favorite. So I would go Infinite and in Tonight. Strong. Those would be my two recommendations because. I would say they're the highlights of the album. Nice. And Matt, and Matt, when you, when we, I mean, you presented this as your Holy Grail in our, in April when we yeah. did the original uh, vinyl challenge there. And I, I, I used to be a big uh, Slim Shady fan back in high nice. school. But yeah. I, I, I listened to a lot of hip hop back then and um, Eminem was definitely up there, but obviously rock and roll was rock and roll and punk were the, two genres that I really focused on. So I wasn't hmm. really diving into a lot of stuff unless it was being presented to me. Um, and you, I mean, I didn't really know about, uh, I just, I knew that he was a struggling artist before uh, the Slim Shady LP. But um, when you presented that and I went back to listen to it, I was like, damn, this okay, this is like classic Eminem that I've never heard. I felt like yeah. I was... I feel like I was being unearthed for like a, a deluxe edition release yeah. of, the, of, of like this year, right? So it was, it was great. It was great to get that recommendation from you. Well, it's funny. You know, a lot, like I said, a lot of people don't know that these two, like that this album and the one Slim Shady EP even exists, right? Yeah. I, I throw songs out there and people are like, I've never heard of those before. I'm like, yeah, they're from way back in the day. You got to go dig for that. I've only met two people. Matt Carvalho and a kid in grade six named Stephen Godden, who was obsessed with Slim Shady and kept <laughs> telling us. And all of us were into like big shiny tunes and pop punk and just would push him aside. Fair enough. 
I mean, for me, this was a big album, even growing up, um, you know, there are many a times when <laughs> I would make a night out of, I'd get Eminem's first five essentially records, put them on and pick a game to play. And that would be it. That would be my night. My city. Amazing. Simple times. Simpler yeah. times. Yeah. Yep. Give me Rogue Squadron and Goldeneye and, and those records. I'm good. Nice. <laughs> Do you have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. All right, Tom, what are you going to present with us? So, look, this was this was hard for me because, you know, we obviously shared our Holy Grail records during that April challenge, as Dan said, and I have, since that time, I have obtained uh, several records that I have had been looking for for a very long time and, um, you know, I've shared those with you throughout the year and, you know, I got really excited about all of those, but... You know, I, and maybe maybe this is a bit of a cop out. Maybe this isn't really a holy grail because I didn't, I, I, it didn't take me a long time to find it, and I didn't spend a lot of time on the quest. But for me, my holy grail in my collection remains my copy of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Um, it is a UK second issue. Is the terminology that's referenced so. It is between the first pressing and the first repress. Um, it's, mm. It doesn't have the solid blue triangle, which is the ultimate holy grail of that pressing, but it is the first issue of the album that was released with the blue outline and the black in the middle of the triangle. Very it, cool. It's got the posters. Yes. It's got all of the inserts. The stickers. It is, it's got the stickers. It's got the posters. Oh, yes. It Amazing. is. Um, it, it's by far my pro, uh, it would be up there with my most played albums in my collection it would be up there with one of the most played albums in my life i listen to it i go back to it so often i and and for the fact that it it is one of the biggest albums of all time it was released in the era of uh, of vinyl records it it is designed to be listened to as an album it is a concept album the themes in it, 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 I just, for so many reasons, it perfectly encapsulates what I love about concept albums, what I love about Pink Floyd, what I love about music. I can put it on, turn the lights off, lay on the ground, close my eyes and listen to it and have a shit-eating grin on my face the entire time. <laughs> I love this album. It's perfect. To me, it is, it is the perfect album. Um, and I didn't even seek it out. When I started collecting records, my dad was like, you have to have this album. Wow. That makes nice. it the holy grail for you. That's, that's amazing. It's my that's holy it right grail. That's I love unbelievable. It. it doesn't matter that it didn't take you time to get it. It's the, it's the emotion behind it that counts. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, but it's, it's also like it's a UK pressing. It's, uh, that's pretty it's, cool. It's a unique. original release, yeah. right? But just yeah. from the second print. Yeah, second, yeah I, I've never heard that term before, that second issue, and I have no way of knowing how many they made. I'm sure it was a lot mm. because the first pressing probably flew off the shelves and then they were like, oh, my God, we have to get more of these out there. Yeah. But well, it was the most sold record of all time until I think Thriller. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah, so, I think yeah. So. yeah. How many weeks has this been on the Billboard charts? Oh, It's yeah, like that, yeah. six or 700 weeks, something like oh that. Oh, my goodness. It? Yeah. It's oh, ridiculous. It's got to be more than that. Oh, like, actually, yeah. You, you know what? Right? You might be right at this point. I, I can't remember what it is. The last time I checked, it was – I think it was – Getting close to seven hundred. That's that's insane. 
I love, I love the idea of the triangle. I didn't know this. So you posted this in the past about this record. And then I started diving in because yeah. I know I have Bev's copy that she brought from the UK, um, which I couldn't find any info on. And then I have my dad's Canadian copy. And then I randomly picked up a copy, which was like a reissue. It's just a Canadian reissue pressing. But they were all like slightly different. And yeah. I had no idea. It, and I was like, it got me down this like whirlwind of of um this of like dark side of the moonness then that's that adds to the the, the lore there's of it. so much it's lore. what makes collecting records oh, yeah. so cool right and this yeah, is this like, is the album that made me start understanding and exploring pressing variants and hmm. um checking all of my pressings on discogs to be like not that it matters but just to out of interest like how else do you discover like i've got a a, a queen album that's from south africa how random like that's cool. Yeah, that's super random. Yeah, like you made me go down that path. I I found a um, Peter Tosh album that was like thrown in my collection. That's an actual Jamaican pressing. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's that's really not, cool. It's a garbage pressing. Like the, oh really? It's like so. It's so th- you can do this and it like wobbles. Oh. But, and it's worth nothing. But I was like, that's my only like. But it's interesting. Jamaican pressing. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. cool. It's a cool thing. No one wants it. Everyone's like, <laughs> no, give me the American. And also the bass is turned up. So coming through like a stereo. It sounds like trash, right? Because it's it's designed it's designed to sound a little different. But I was like, you can go down I had those, no idea. Yeah, you can go down those rabbit holes, right? Where you're like, yeah. for this album you want this variant, for this album you want this variant. Yeah. This one sounds better. Right. This one sounds too hot. You know, there's all of that. But you know, for me, uh, maybe it would be different if it was a different pressing. But there's just so much about the way that they pulled this together and it was packaged, and the way that you have to listen to it. And everything that they talk about, it's just, you know, I think it's an essential item for every record. It has to be. It's got to be in like, if you're collecting vinyl just for classic rock, it's got to be in your top three must-haves. Yeah, this oh, is, I would you argue have one to have or two. in your collection. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the, po- like, to- like, remember the, po- the posters are cool. Yeah, the stickers really, are cool. They're really cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's. Like, I remember opening it, like, Bev was like, oh, there's my record collection, go have a look. And I remember opening it and just being like, there's stickers in here. And there's a, <laughs> there's a poster. And, like, 15-year-old me and my mom's like, yeah, don't, no, no, like, I've kept those this we long. Don't, yeah. don't touch them. We don't put we them don't on the open wall. Them. I, I, yeah, I need right. to buy another copy just so I have a copy of the posters that I can put on the wall because these ones, yeah. have, they just live in the sleeve. Yep. That's fair. Well, I, I, I made the mistake. I, I have my 30th anniversary uh, pressing that I, I mentioned, and I also have like a player's copy. Um, but you know, as a foolish kid, I took those goddamn stickers out of the 30th anniversary release and I put them on my on the the plastic cover of the of my record player. Oh dear, no, I'm in. I like it. <laughs> no. do you no. do you still it have it? it is. Do you still have it? Do you still? You I gave it to your brother, didn't you? No, that cover I end up breaking. Oh. I tossed it. So that's oh. it's it's gone. It's so whatever. It's not a big deal. No, but I like the stickers on the cover. That that always makes me happy. Yeah, I, I use it. But Tom, Tom, I'm I'm so glad that you uh, you uh, use this as your holy grail. I know you've got a couple holy grails, but you know it is like you said. It's it is the most influential album of my life. Mm. Like my dad showed me this when I was ten. Wow, and. Every single time I listen to that album, it brings me back to the moment when he played it for me in the for, for the first time. I Love remember it. it distinctly. Like I have this, it's like one of my most distinct 10-year-old memories of being in the car with him, driving home from a hockey tournament. And it's 
so late in my and it's like it's I think it was the first CD that my dad bought because it, it would have been like 1997 at the time. So like CDs were yeah. just. I guess I mean I don't know when CDs really became the most like at, at their peak, but it was around that time. And he pops this into this into the CD in the car, and so there's a time where where CD players were just starting to come into cars. And um, mm-hmm. I remember from right from the get go, I was bl- I was blown away, and I was a ten year old kid in class, you know, playing this album <laughs> and, and 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 using like using this album for presentations and people were like, what, what are you listening to? Right? Like everyone's listening to Blink-182 <laughs> or Backstreet yeah. Boys. I'm coming in with Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Your teachers and, probably um, loved it. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure they did. And, and, uh, and honestly, like I've been putting off listening to this album ever since my dad passed away because I mm. knew it was going to be a, a heavy, heavy experience. And um, I definitely, you know, I, I kept it together for most of the most of it until you know the great gig in the sky comes on because oh, I mean that get gets you emotional me. every gets time me. every time it plays regardless. But um, it was great to like finally have a listen. I you know pulled out the 30th anniversary edition just to listen to that copy, and I, I don't usually listen to that at all. But um, just to be able to go through it, and it was like kind of like this chat has been a great way for me to deal with my dad's passing, and that kind of like it's been over a year now, and that kind of mm. like. As, kind of push me through to the other side. I'm really glad you listened to it. So yeah, I'm really glad you were able to to listen to it and and get through that. And, and I hope Lou's uh enjoying himself at the great gig in the sky. Yeah, absolutely. 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 So I, I just wanted to quickly touch on this. I just looked it up going back to uh how many weeks it's been on charts. It's gone four times 14 times platinum in the UK alone and has sold more than 45 million copies worldwide and has spent 958 weeks on the Billboard charts. Insane. And do you know what? It, it's prog rock. It's, <laughs> it's not pop music. It's a, it is, no, it's, it's, a, it's challenging album. to listen to. Yeah. They recorded, you know, love it. They recorded uh, alarm clocks and cuckoo clocks and yeah. change and Random cash sounds. registers and... Heartbeats, like it, it's, it's not digestible to everyone. But here's the thing: if that album came out today, it would not sell. No way, no way. Was this garbage? I don't know, Ooh, man. Maybe ten years know. ago. Maybe ten years ago. But I think if it maybe came ten out, years ago. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm basing that purely because of the time and with streaming available. I don't think uh-huh. it would do the numbers. Oh, it's I'm done. with Matt. I'm with Matt. If they, I think if, you're right. If they brought it out after Adele convinced Spotify to turn off the auto shuffle so you could listen to it as an album, then may, mm. maybe. Also, people have short attention spans now, so maybe they'd just hear that's the heart. That's the big thing, too. They'd hear the heartbeats at the start, and they'd be like, what is this crap next? Yeah, I just, that's me. I just, just I, skipping. When I, when I listen to that album, though, like it just puts every prog rock record that's been released after that to shame, like. It does. Prog Rock just honestly tries to copy what Dark Side of the Moon did. I'm gonna listen to it. I'm gonna listen to it again no this one, afternoon. <laughs> no one can do it. It's just, it's it's a lot different than pretty much all other Prog Rock that exists. It's a, really it, nothing like it. It's on its own island. It's a perfect concept yeah. as well. It's a yeah. perfect concept. Oh man, yeah, I love you, it. And everything flows into everything, and it starts with uh, a heartbeat, and it finishes with a heartbeat. It, oh. I know. And and like the, the, to me, the line that gets me is when the band you're in starts playing a different tune. I'll see you on the dark side of the moon. I love you that. know like 
eclipse and oh, the, the and repetition and it, and it of themes in eclipse. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's so good. It's so, so, it's so perfect. Dan, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Grey Gig in the Sky because um, for me that's my favourite track um, and it mm. gets me every time. It, the vocal performance is so powerful. Uh, it, it's an incredible song. And then I think the most popular, just purely because it's the only thing that close, you know, remotely remembers, resembles a single is probably Money is, is probably the yeah. most popular track. But um, I don't think you can break it down into individual songs for this album. I think you have to listen to it as an album. So that's me, gents. I'm, I'm sorry it wasn't, uh, I didn't have a new offering for you, but um, I'm also not sorry because it's Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon and it's perfect. It yeah. was, that, that was perfect. Loved it. Chris, let's hear it. Let's hear your holy grail. I'm excited. What do you got? Okay. All right. Uh, mine's more like Tom's. I didn't. I didn't find it in a dusty room. I didn't um, look for it for years and years and years. I. Uh, I actually stumbled across it completely by accident, and I didn't just stumble across one. What? So here's the thing. So I actually got this album with a number of other albums. So I actually picked this one up at the same time I got the Sam Roberts Chemical City album, as well as a bunch of other Canadian artists. And I said earlier that I got it. And after a conversation with my dad, we kind of hashed it out. And I was trying to remember it was around 2000 and I want to say like eight, seven, oh, seven, oh, eight ish. And he actually picked them up and there was a phone call conversation that we kind of remembered when we hashed it out. And uh, he was at Liquidation World and he calls me and he goes, <laughs> hey, there's a bunch of like Canadian rock albums here. Do you want me to pick them up? Um, they're just in a bin. I see some Tragically Hip. I see some Sam Roberts. I see some uh, Buck 65 and there's a bunch of random DJ shit. And I was like, yeah, grab whatever you can. Like, how much are they? And this is where I was confused. I thought they were like five to 10 bucks. He paid a dollar for each record. Stop it. Wow. Oh my yeah. goodness. And me and him talked about this, a dollar. So he comes home and there's the Sam Roberts album. So I take those. And then there's four or five tragically hip albums, Day for Night. All to all 1994 original pressings, Stop all sealed. Holy no, all sealed. I'm so mad okay. at you. No, don't. You just wait. Okay. So um, later that year, I was in teacher's college, and you do these things called placements where you have to, like, teach with another teacher. And at the end of the placement, you have to get them a gift to say thank you for, like, dealing with my crap. <laughs> so I thought I was clever, and I asked them, and me and him got along really well with music, so I gave him a copy of and this one was mint condition sealed wow nothing like an uh, like an unopened tragically hip album so i was so excited to give it to him he didn't give a shit what so Come on. yeah he didn't care well it was 2007 no one had record player anymore no one cared so i remember wow. the look on his face he's like uh thanks <laughs> hey you want to listen to some records and i was like cool okay whatever like so steven uh if you're out there and you remember having chris palumbo as a placement teacher <laughs> Uh, please tell me you didn't get rid of that record. Uh, he used it as a frisbee. You're going to regret <laughs> yeah. that. I hope He not. tossed it in the bin. <laughs> yeah, uh, Stephen from Resurrection. Uh, oh, please man. Please tell me you didn't. <laughs> anyway, so that's one gun. 
The second one four, disappeared. With, right? You had four. I had four. Okay. Four or five. I can't remember. So that's one gone. Um, the next one disappeared when me and my ex broke up. I'm pretty sure it was in at her house in university or whatever it was. So that one's gone. That one was opened, but in pretty good condition. The next one got eaten. No. By a rabbit. Bun bun? Bun bun? Bun bun. Bun bun ate the whole So that's the most valuable copy of all. That's the most valuable copy. Yeah. You know, one of a kind. Okay, well, yeah. So bun bun ate the half of that. And then I have a copy, right? So my copy is still, it's still uh, bun bun certified. I'll get out okay. of town. Good. Good. <laughs> um, he's got a little nibble here. Far out, Chris. Um, <laughs> this this album also, when I was moving out of university, uh, got caught in a rainstorm oh as I was yeah, moving. Yeah, goodness! So there's a there's a nice warp on the cover. It's the album. Yeah, is, it's yeah. water damage for sure. It's obvious. There's water Chris, damage. There's, Chris warped album Palumbo. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> the album itself is in pristine condition. Wow! Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah no, like, hang on. Uh, it's, is that in a plastic sleeve? It's it's in the original. Um, That's paper. It's it's the original paper. Can sleeve. Put it in a plastic sleeve as soon as we finish recording, please. Okay, sure. Just for you. <laughs> Just not the water. Not he the won't. water damage. Bunny he won't. You won't. Not at all. This this album actually doesn't get. That's the most I've taken it out probably in three years. Oh yeah. Um, since Gordon Downey passed away. Um, so the story goes. This is from the last one. I used to work for an outdoor ad company. And we always used to play can rock or music when the, the rock climbing company that I worked for would have, have kids. Yeah. Um, and we used to go school to school and teach people how to climb and do ropes and all that. And the one day, tragically hips on and we're just having a good time. And one of the kids stops me and he's like, that's my dad. And I was like, <laughs> get out of here, kid. <laughs> I was like, Shut okay, up. cool. And then I was like, wait, wait, who's your dad? And he's like, singing, that's my dad. And I was like. Like your, no, dad's, your dad's your dad's just a just a guy in a blues rock pub band. Yeah, I was like cover band. <laughs> yeah, cover and band. I was like, "What's your last name?" And he's like Downey. And I was like, <laughs> "Man, wait, do you know what? Does your dad pick you up after school?" He's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "You should get your dad, bring him in here, show him all the cool yes. stuff we're doing." Yeah. <laughs> nice, yes, Chris. In- Br- bring bring your dad, Gord Downey, from the tragically hip <laughs> to my <laughs> rock climbing class. Please. He walks Gord Downey at the end of the day. Unreal. Oh my God. So the way these walls work, they're like, um, oh, they're 25, 30 feet scaffolding that we build in gyms. I'm at the top fixing some ropes and Gord Downey walks in. I don't remember how I got down. (laughs) I never climbed out. I just never climbed so fast in my life. Right. Um, And I just like was talking to him and he was such a nice guy. And I convinced him the next day. I was like, hey, if I bring an album in, will you sign it? He's like, yeah, of course. Like, I'll come back tomorrow. Bring it in, blah, 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 blah. So I I come in and we're talking again. And he he takes this and he knows the water damage. He's okay with that. And he's just like, where did you get this? And I'm like, oh, actually, like uh, I picked it a up. Bargain bin. Blah, blah, blah. I had a bun. I had a bunch of I had a bunch of copies. This is my last one. I've been giving them to people. And he was like, You don't like, you don't understand. Like, we didn't make a lot of these. He's like, actually. I've never seen one of these. Stop wow. it! And you gave wow. away like you three gave, of them. You gave your your best your best <laughs> oh, copy man. to some dingy teacher who hated it in the garbage. Yeah. We didn't give a shit about it. 
so so he's looking at it like it's like a lost artifact, and he and he fucking flips it over, and it's and there's Bun Bun, <laughs> uh, just eaten by the rabbit. He's like, and you can see his face fall like a little bit, like he's trying to hold it together, he's, and he's just like. He's like, do you know what you have? And he's just like, uh. He's so like, disappointed yeah, in you. Yeah, so, yeah. so disappointed. I have, I have like, I was like, I have a rabbit. Like, it, it ate another. It, like, it ate the samurai. I have, I have a more. It's eating all these rabbits. It's a whole thing. And it's a whole thing, right? And he's just like trying to hold it together. And then I'm like, do you have a picture? So in the picture, and I'll post the picture to our Instagram account. You can see one of us is very excited and one of us is disappointed. The, the other one's like, boy, this guy really doesn't take care of his records. Yeah. Boy, this guy has no idea. What an yeah. I bet he asked you to put it in a plastic sleeve as well. Oh probably no, this goes <laughs> this goes in a glass case, actually. Yeah, I was Just gonna to, say I keep you this don't in a glass spin case. That anymore. No, you put I that don't. in a case and leave it. Uh, the reason I say four or five is I actually uncovered a, another one at my parents' house. Um, Dude, that is actually in mint condition, unchewed, but it is not, it is not autographed by Gord Downey. So it's not the same. This is my holy grail simply because it says the tragically hip day for night. He crossed out day. He wrote Chris, happy days and nights. Always your friend, Gord. Chris, that just gave me chills. And it's, yeah, again, I didn't look for it. I found it and... He found me and he found it, and it was just horribly perfect. Unbelievable. What a journey. What a story. Yeah, I'm, what a story. I'm so happy that the hip was your choice um, because when I was living in Canada, it's so obvious that they are uh, they're, they're Canada's storytellers, right? They, they've documented yeah. so much about Canadian culture, and I, I'm not Canadian, but I love listening to the hip because I – you know, there's Australian artists like that. There's American artists like that. You know, they are Springsteen. They're Dylan. They're Paul Kelly if you're an Australian. They're part of the fabric of Canadian culture. And you know what, Alicia and I were living in Australia when, um, the, you know, when Gord passed, but when they did that final tour of Canada um, and they did all those dates and we watched one of them live um, I can't remember exactly how, but you know, yeah, there was a stream broadcast. We watched a stream of the CBC broadcast, and you could you could see the emotion on people's faces as they sat through. You know, these was these were Gord's last shows, and man, I was I was in tears at one point, like I just tried. understanding yeah. the significance of this tour and the power of it. You know, Canada was losing one of its great storytellers. You know, incredibly sad, but also incredibly beautiful that they decided. You know, we know God's going to leave us soon. We're going to give Canada. You know, we're going to connect with Canadians one last time. And they, you know, they gave. That was that's really selfless. They gave people this this closure with God. Like I'm so happy you chose this, Chris. I I just I, I love the tragically hip. I love everything about it. I, yeah, thank you. That that honestly, that concert uh, here in the city, pretty much every park that could do it was hosting a viewing party on a big like pop up screen. And Alina and I went to the park closest to our our apartment, and mm. people were like holding each other in tears. It was such an intimate moment. It, it was, was like like, like a you spiritual said, like, experience. Yeah, Canada was losing one of its greatest storytellers, and. Yeah. Um, it, you're you're so right. Like the fact that they gave us that closure with him, 
for them to to tour all of the biggest cities in Canada and then to finish in Kingston where they're from yeah and to have their last show there it's just yeah couldn't couldn't have been a better ending to his story and Chris that mm-hmm. is what a holy grail man that that yeah, is seriously. the ultimate like absolutely cherish that please don't let any more bunnies near it yeah it's got I well, don't it's think got, anything it's else got can bun happen bun's to DNA it. right yeah. Yeah. Chris's bun but bun records are special. the most about exactly yeah Man, what a what a way what a way to wrap out the Holy Grail segment, Chris. Have you got? I know it's hard, but um, most popular and and your favorite. Do you know what? I I almost can't listen to God's voice. It just it's emotional. I ah oh, I love his voice. It's so good. I I listened to this again today. I listen to this every once in a while um, to to kind of get back. This is a darker album. Me and Matt were actually yeah. talking about this yesterday. Totally. It's it's a it's a dark album and you have to be in the mindset and today I had it on. I well, I would say probably Grace 2 is the the biggest song off yeah. off this album. Agreed. Um I really really like Nautical Disaster mm-hmm. or uh Greasy Jungle. Uh Greasy Jungle I always have just had a soft spot for. I just love love the way that song kind of builds and in place. Um but this this actually was never one of my favorite Tragically Hip albums, um, which is why I never realized how much it was either worth or sought after by Tragically Hip fans. I was more a new generation. I liked World Container. I liked some of their more upbeat stuff. And it wasn't until Music we signed that album that I went back and was like, oh, my God. Like, I'm, this has been in my collection for 10 years and I never listened to it. We're going to get a bunch of right. angry emails from hip fans yeah. who are record collectors who oh, don't yeah. have a copy of this and you had five this, of them. <laughs> I gave them all away. Get this. Matt's not here. So he sends me a text while you were saying a very heartfelt thing. He says, if you're willing to sell or trade that last copy, let me know. No. To, wow. Yeah, he's trying to snake wow. it out. In, in the middle, middle of the podcast. In the middle of the podcast, podcast. he's backdooring yeah. us. Yeah, wheeling and dealing that guy. Oh man, that's funny. Yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah, stories on stories with that one. You know, you know what I find interesting about about valuable things is that Chris, like, you know, I know we like to make jokes about this being a eaten by bun bun, right? And it's like, oh, it's so valuable. It's a it's a copy of Day for Night that, I, like Tom said, tragically hip record collectors would kill to have. But it's it's funny. Like we have these valuable things in our lives. But when are we actually going to sell them? I'm never selling them. <laughs> I would never. I would never sell. Let it be naked. I, I'm dying with this thing in my possession. Yeah. Right? Like, there's two things I'm never selling. It's my first guitar I ever bought. That Epiphone. I love it. It doesn't play very well, but I love it, and I'm never selling it. I know. I know and, how you feel there. And this, like this tragically hip album, and like maybe that Sam Roberts one, that Bun Bun. It's just it's they're special to me, and no, maybe no one else. Right. And I think that's what makes it more valuable than anything. Like Tom's, yeah. yours is special to you because of your connection. Yeah. Right. Dan, yours is special to you because of, of the way you found it and your love for your dad and your record collecting and all of that. And Matt, mm-hmm. yours is special because like Eminem, you found this like thing that no one knew about yeah. and, and you managed to get it. It's that's that's what the true meaning of Holy Grail is. It's not digging or striving for like for that most expensive it's what's most expensive to you and i think that's important that's the most profound thing you've ever said on this podcast (laughs) yeah Yeah. no wow chris bringing it home that was beautiful all right now let's now let's tear strips off each other it's time for the hot oh boy 
Let's go. Chris, tell us what's on the wheel. Oh, all right. We're going to do... Uh, we're going to do the wheel here. So what's on it? Let's do a quick recap. Um, we have the best song of all time. No big deal. Roger Waters or David Gilmore, a popular band you can't get into. The new one on the wheel is 90s pop. Uh, pick a song and best one hit wonder that you can think of. Cool, 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 cool. Okay. Cool. Oh, Spin that wheel. So, so. Okay. Best song of all time. Oh, Here we go. Oh, no big deal. No For the Holy Grail episode. Here we go. It's a Holy wow. Grail hot take. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I want Chris to start uh, us off. You want me to start yeah. us off? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I've said this for a very long time. I have had no doubts in my mind. It has been my choice for the best song of all time for many, many years. I've gotten into many drunken arguments about it. And a lot of people disagree with me, but here it is. It is Paul McCartney, Live and Let Die. Wow. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> Did not see that coming. Yeah, no one ever does. And Unbelievable song. It Unbelievable is, song. It's a great song, a but. Goddamn masterpiece. It has. A great riff. It has unbelievable lyrics. It's linked to a movie, which makes it even better <laughs> because a James, James Bond, Bond movie, movie. Yeah. right? And it doesn't need to be. Like when I yeah, first heard that song, I had cool. no idea it was linked to a movie. Yeah. And it it does that Paul McCartney, that Paul McCartney feel, but it has this power behind it, this orchestra behind it. He takes everything and he puts it in that song, and like. Every time I hear that song, I feel it building up. And then seeing that song live, I was just like, pfft. like, you can just stand there and be like knocked off your feet. Chris, Chris, like, to me, the best part of that as well. The, the best part yeah. of that song is when it, it slows down and Paul goes, You used to say you live and let live. You know you did. You know you did. You know you did. And oh, so good. Do, do, do. So perfect. Do, do, do. It's an do, do. It is an epic song, right? Like, you, you made a great it really choice. It made a great like, choice. I don't think. Yeah. You, I don't think you could do a naked version of that. That has to be spectrized. No, that has to be. Oh, yeah, and that was going to be my argument. It's a wall of sound. This is. It's. It is. It isn't a wall of. It is the wall of sound. It is yeah. that perfect mix, like Dan said, of the breakdown. But then when it hits you, it hits you. And uh, yeah, I can't think of anything else. The second we talked greatest song of all time, that song just kept. Playing over and over in my head. That's the key, right? That you yeah. that your gut. Remember, we were talking about this. It's hard to make a choice, and I said it's just got to be gut. It's instinct. Mm -hmm. And I and yeah. I'm exactly the same. As soon as we said this was going to be one of the hot takes, I knew what my song was, and I ha and I haven't wavered. And in what is it? Let's hear it. Okay. Well, do you know what? It's really funny that uh, you've chosen a Paul McCartney song, and we've been talking about the Beatles, and we've been talking about Let It Be. <laughs> Yeah. Because my absolute, hands down, greatest song of all time is Let It Be. Wow. Okay. I, wow. I had a feeling someone's going to pick that. I, wow. I think it's one of the most beautiful songs ever written. I it think is. it is perfect. I, I cannot explain how much I enjoyed watching them write it and work through it in the studio in that Get Back documentary. I'm so happy that we 
had this topic for this episode after we just all watched Get yeah, Back. Yeah, seriously. I just lyrically, I love it. I love the story behind it. You know, his, his, this, his mother who had passed away when he was young came to him in a dream and said, it'll be okay, just let it be. Mother Mary is not religious. Mother Mary is Mary McCartney, his mother. Wow. And wow. the sentiment of, you know, whatever you're going through in your life, just let it be. I just, I think it's perfect. I, I love it so much. And I think it's so- I just, just added it. Didn't George meeting. call it corny? I don't think it's corny. I think it is. No, no, I think George the, called yeah, it corny. Yeah, I just, look, I, the moment that we decided we were doing this topic, that was in my head. It's got to be Let It Love Be. Love it. It's got to be Let It Be. It's so funny that two of us have picked a McCartney song. Uh, I hope did, let, oh, three maybe of us? three of us no. picked a McCartney song. And then Matt's, Matt's in the outlier. Okay. okay. Ah, right. But am I? Oh, oh, dear. oh, Jesus Christ. If we all picked it, Matt, this is. Uh, okay. <laughs> Matt, better pick a U2 song just to get. Lozier There's going. no way. There's, it, fired it's up. impossible for it to be a U2 song because they all suck. It, I was going to say, it did. Not one of their songs came to mind. Okay. I'm just being honest. I, I like you too, but no. How come? All right, Matt, take it away. <sighs> Honestly, this was a tough choice for me because Chris, you and I were kind of talking about this last night. I had a couple ideas in my mind before we were going to jump on and do this. But out of curiosity, I wanted to see where some of these songs might rank on like, you know, Rolling Stones and the different various lists out there for greatest songs of all time. And not one of my picks ended up even in the, I think the top 25 yeah. weren't even close. I don't think mine's but, in top 500. I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be influenced by those lists. So I, I tried yeah. to avoid them. Oh, me too. I, I, I kind of had ideas in my mind. I just w was curious where other people might rank them. Mm. But for me, I think about like, you know, context and meaning behind the song, legacy, performances, um, you know. Okay, I like the those, checklist. Yeah, those different kinds of things. So really, it really only comes down to about two or three songs for me. But ah, the more and more we're talking about this, the more I'm leading towards a, a Beatles record. Oh, goodness. And I, it's, kind of, it's kind of changed, like, literally it, from yesterday to today. This is so weird. I so can't believe this. I'm I'm going with Hey Jude by the Beatles. Uh, Unreal. Not a great choice. I, I just the lyrics <laughs> oh, dude, the, song, the, the music behind it, you cannot go to any like if that song plays like before a concert starts, everybody gets into it. Yeah. There is not one person that cannot get on with that song. There just it isn't. Yeah, good point. Yeah, you're right. Everyone sings along. Paul and yeah, I, everyone I, knows the words. It be, and it becomes a big spectacle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. at the end, I've 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 been to bars where there, it's like a, a a pianist playing that song, and the whole yeah. bar joins in. The whole bar jo yeah. jumps uh, in at the end. Come nah. on, group sing along. No, 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 no. You know what I mean? Totally. No. So, I, yeah, I, I mean it, uh, it's Paul McCartney and a piano. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's another Paul McCartney. Wait, there's a oh theme my here. God. Were we influenced by? Were we influenced by that documentary? I, I would like to make. <clears throat> I I wasn't I because I thought me I I chose this in my, no. in May this year when we started the pod. I, I I had my I had my pick back in back when we started this as well. So I, I'm the only one that dad. wavered a little bit. I argued with my dad about this versus Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell, 
for many, many years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, P.S. I want to know what his hit Holy Grail is. Uh, and and and, I, and greatest song of all time, and it can't be better. Okay. Though. Yeah, we yeah. got to get his take. Yeah. Sell those. Yeah, bring it home, okay. Dan. Okay. Please this is. A, I, I'm. I'm. I'm speechless. Can I just say we, we did not coordinate this. This is no, purely this is by accident. Okay. Here was my methodology. Okay. I when this question is posed, how can you possibly answer what is the greatest song of all time? You can't. And one of the issues I have with this question is that. You know, we're coming from a white Anglo-Saxon Western world peer view. Mm-hmm. Totally. And for us, for us to say greatest song of all time, how could you possibly say that? You know, there's so much more music that we have that we've never accessed because we're not from those parts of the world to be able to make that claim, right? So this is obviously based off of our our biases and our, our experiences. Experience, our worldview, totally. But I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to kind of really think about a few different things, right? Like let's, it, the song's got to be from a prolific artist. It's got to touch on some themes that are universal. Mm-hmm. And it obviously has to be a popular song and a, and a, and a, a well, a song that's been played many times. Okay, okay. So here, so I started going down that methodology, right? So Beatles came to mind. So it's going to be a Beatles song. So we oh, all picked, oh. we all, and I, this song is written by McCartney. Beethoven. This song is also picked by McCartney. Okay. It's also written oh. by McCartney. Oh my goodness. But the reason I picked this song is what is the first song that every human listens to? It's a lullaby. I thought it would be a heartbeat. Well, I'm choosing a lullaby. I'm talking about a song. A heartbeat. Like a heartbeat is a, is a beat, right? Like it's, it's, like it's not a song. The song of life, Dan. I'm sorry. But Let's try to be meaningful. A, a, a universal experience for humans in general across the, across the globe, not just in our peer view, is the song of a parent singing to them. Okay. So what better song to pick than the epic conclusion to the Beatles' greatest record, but Golden Slumbers Carry the Weight and the End. That's what I'm picking. It has a lot of, it has orchestral tones. It's the perfect climax to Abbey Road. The song starts out with the lullaby. It's a perfect encapsulation of human experience to start with birth and to finish with the end. That's my pick. I, 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 love I, it. I consider that to, I consider those three tracks to be one song because they're all about a minute a minute long and they all blend in perfectly together. I love your methodology. But, uh, like you, you that's, took us. That's you, what you, I picked. It's rational. It's logical. You took us on a journey. Mm-hmm. But more than that, I think that makes McCartney the greatest songwriter of all time in our view. I couldn't agree more because the four yeah, of us, true. the four of us <laughs> picked I, a McCartney song. We all no McCartney wonder he songs. was such a dick in the documentary. <laughs> Look at <laughs> He was the best. Man. He, he the wrote best. the best like, songs. I actually, this uh. could, I mean, if we had brainstormed how to do this as a bit, it couldn't have been more perfect. No. Yeah, no, I'm I, 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 honest, I'm like, I'm like I shaking I, right now. I, I'm actually stunned. With ad- adrenaline. That we came and think... picked McCartney songs. I thought I was going to be the outlier. I thought, I thought, I was I thought someone was going to say Bohemian Rhapsody or... That Stairway, was my second Stairway choice. to Heaven. You know, there's some obvious choices. Yeah. But you got to go on gut. Oh, I thought someone might go even further back and be like, well, what do we still play? Like Beethoven or um, 
what's the what's the classical one that they turned into a milk commercial back in the day? Um, Drink milk, but, love life. Yes, da, that da, one. Oda Joy. Yeah. Oda yeah, Joy, like yeah, something yeah. like that, right? Wagner I thought someone was going to be cheeky. Yeah, yeah. And, but that's um, too clever. No. You can't. You can't intellectualize yeah. this decision. Mm-mm, it's, you just have to. You just have to have a feeling that it's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, love it. Big way to end the year. What a way. All on the same page. This, this hey? wheel's supposed to separate us, not bring us closer <laughs> together. It's supposed to divide us, not two unite us. closer together. <laughs> well, here's, here's the issue I had with this question too, right? Because I think during the entire season, we've had such great debates and, yeah. and they've been, they've been like, some have been visceral. Like the U2 one is just like, yeah, yeah. I yeah. was you didn't on really the sit other on the side and I hate yeah. Bono and U2 and I hate the <laughs> yeah. edge. And then like colored, and then we went to colored, colored and picture discs gimmick or not and there was a good debate and we and we were able to say yeah. like you know it's a it's a split decision the bond scott brian johnson was a split decision and this yeah. one was like and bond scott brian johnson with- like just to go back to that one i mean the rest of your views weren't relevant anyway so i'm the australian one so only my opinion matters on that one um I kid, for I this kid. one I, for this one i was like it, we're all going to pick four different songs there's no way we're going to come to a consensus i'm really curious to see how this debate goes and the fact that we all picked McCartney. It wasn't a debate. Songs. I, I There's honestly, no debate. Yeah. He's the greatest songwriter of all time. I honestly take that thought, one off the hot take list. I thought let it I thought someone else might pick let it be. I oh man. Ah, oh, big fun. Unreal. The bill, yeah. yeah. McCartney okay. and a piano, hey? That's all you need. Oh. That's it. That's all you need. Wow. All you need is good job, Paul. boys. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make Tom the best groovy guy? Uh, I mean, <laughs> he's the host. <laughs> well, you clearly, clearly could host where the rest of us can't, yeah. Wow. Uh, what a way to wrap up our first season. Um, it's been an awesome journey. Just want to say massive shout out to everyone who's listened and supported us and sent us messages, you know, through various channels and encouraged us and offered their thoughts. Um, massive thank you to Chris for suggesting the vinyl challenge in April this year, which started this journey. Matt, it's been awesome getting to know you. Guys, you know, we've obviously through various paths been friends for a long time, but um, this has taken, I think, all of our passion for record collecting to another level. Certainly taken our friendship to another level. I'm sure our wives are all um, sick of us talking about records all the time (laughs) and (laughs) sharing sharing our, our newest... Uh, purchase that we want to tell the groovy guys about. But uh, look, it's been an awesome experience. I can't wait to do it again in 2022. We're going to take a break for the rest of the year. We're going to come back refreshed, bigger and better in 2022. Can't wait to see you all again. Make sure you hit us up. Instagram, Create Expectations Pod. Uh, Gmail, Create Expectations Pod at gmail.com. Check out Matt's blog, Create Expectation Pod.com. Send us some fan mail, send us some hate mail, whatever you want to do, we're here for it. Until next time, keep digging and spinning. Keep the change, you filthy animal. The Groovy Guys are Tom Kennedy, Dan Lozier, Chris Palumbo, and Matt Carvalho. With your host, Tom Kennedy, music by Dan Lozier, post-production by Matt, and album art by Chris. The Golden Record, written by Tom Kennedy, Thanks to Carl Sagan. Narrated by Dan Wilson.